the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So in chapter three, we start out, now we see John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, is the cousin of Jesus. When Mary found out she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, uh, she actually went to visit John the Baptist's mother and father, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth was pregnant, uh, had already been pregnant with John. And when uh, Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth and John, John leaps in his womb. Uh, so they're cousins and uh, they've known each other for a long time. Uh, and now Jesus is coming to John out in the wilderness. And John was called the greatest of the prophets by Jesus. He's the last prophet of the Old Testament. And um, Jesus comes to him because John the Baptist now is talking about repent for the kingdom of God is near. And kingdom of God is a big concept in the New Testament because Jesus comes as the new king in the kingdom of God. And so John says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now that word repent in the Greek is metanoiate. Metanoiate. In Mark uh, 1.15, uh, he says metanoiate and pistuate. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is, in here, is near. Here John is saying, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And this word metanoiate, when it was translated into Latin, uh, translates as penitentia. So that's where we get the word repentant. But the actual root word metanoiate here and in Mark uh, means change your mind. Think a, way, a new way of thinking of the world. It doesn't necessarily carry with it a connotation of feeling sorry for your sin, although it can. But the main use of the word metanoiate basically means this is a new way of thinking of the world around you. Uh, and so John says, repent, think of a new world around you for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. This is the, the great Isaiah passages that we talk about uh, during Advent, uh, where John says, make straight a, way, a path that's from Isaiah. And it's basically talking about how Jesus is going to come. Uh, and so we need to clear a path for Jesus. Um, and so uh, John's the forerunner, forerunner of Jesus. That's verses 3 through uh, 1 through 3. And then we go into verse 4, where John the Baptist, where it gives a little bit of description about John. He says, John's clothes were made from camel's hair, which I think was quite unusual. And he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. So apparently John was one of these ascetic type guys. He doesn't follow the normal crowd. He kind of does his own thing. He wears strange clothes. Uh, he has a leather, bout, waist, a leather belt around his waist and his food is locusts and wild honey. And uh, I thought that was interesting because uh, I looked it up and did you know that locusts, we know that locusts have protein. But you know that locusts also have fat. And so basically, if you're going to eat locusts and wild honey, uh, I wish I could do the calculation. Maybe I'll do that at some point. But 
you have some amount of protein, you have some amount of fat, and you have some amount of carbohydrates in the wild honey. Of course, this wild honey is wild honey. Wild honey is actually apparently really, really, really good for you, especially if it's locally wild because the bees go and they collect all the pollen and they bring it in. And so it even builds up your immune system to allergies and things that are around. This is, this is what I've been told. I, don't quote me, I'm not a doctor on any of this stuff. But that if you eat wild honey that is locally produced, um, that it will uh, help boost your immune system to some of the allergens that are out in the world around you. And so he ate uh, locusts and wild honey, um, which is uh, apparently a quite an amazing diet. Uh, you know, we in the United States, we think that you should have uh, about half of your diet should be carbohydrates and maybe a quarter protein and a quarter fats or maybe even less than that is fats. But uh, there's new research in that and uh, you might want to just take a look around the internet and do some of your own research because we've said for a long time that we should have a low-fat diet and apparently there are some fat-soluble vitamins that are very, very good for you uh, that only come through fat and so you have to have some level of fat in your diet. So your body runs off of two, um, two kind of fuel sources. The one is called fat. And so we all have fat on our body, and, um, and then you have carbohydrates, which, which turns into glucose. So you have glucose, you have glucose, which is uh, carbohydrates, and you have fat, which is lipids. And uh, if your body has glucose, it goes to that first. It's a quick fat. It goes into your muscles really quick, or it's a quick energy source. It goes into your muscles real quick, uh, and then you can burn it. But once that energy source dies down, and you don't have glucose anymore in your bloodstream, then your body switches from glucose burning to fat burning. And the interesting thing about fat burning is that it's, a, it's kind of a different way to fuel your body and your body is completely able to run off of fats. So if you um, run out of glucose uh, and your, kind of your energy reserves are, are gone, it'll switch over to glucose and you can run your body for glucose for quite a long time actually. And as a matter of fact, um, as I've read the research, there's a lot of things that actually run better off of fats in your body than glucose. And one of them is your brain. So if you'd like to have your brain operate um, at a higher level, if you don't eat uh, carbohydrates and, uh, and your carbohydrates get depleted in your body and you switch over to fat uh, and then you're running off of the lipids, then um, it, your body can actually do this. And it actually kind of helps you think clearly. As a matter of fact, this used to be um, one of the ways that uh, they would treat epilepsy uh, in the early 1900s was that they would they found out that if you made your body run off of lipids um, that it you know would help calm the epileptic seizures and stuff like that so it is uh, do some research on that but uh, and, and the other thing is is that you don't necessarily have to eat three times a day I know that we're told breakfast lunch and dinner breakfast is the most most important meal um, but uh, for me personally, I cannot eat three meals a day because uh, I don't eat a whole lot of carbs. My body, for some reason, doesn't need a whole lot of uh, calories. And so if I ate three meals a day, I just, I could, there's no way I can have the right portions. So I just usually eat one or two meals a day. Um, anyway, so that's just, that is, uh, um, where were we? Yeah, and wild honey. Yeah, so wild honey, uh, the wild honey that you get at the store is not wild honey. It's been processed. It's been homogenized and pasteurized. And I think a lot of the stuff has been cooked out of it. And so it's mostly at that point just glucose. So, but um, you could actually fuel your body. So if, <laughs> if the apocalypse happens 
and uh, and you need some nutrition, you know, go find some locusts or some grasshoppers or something like that and some honey and you'll be fine. So anyway, <laughs> what brought me on that? Oh, okay. So now we're going to verse five. So then um, uh, people, this is people out in Jerusalem, went out to John the Baptist from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. And they confessed their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. They confessed their sins and they were baptized him in the Jordan River. So we see here that the baptism that John has is a baptism for confession of sins. So they would come to John, they would confess their sins and they would say, I'm sorry for all these different things. Uh, and then they would be baptized in the Jordan River. All right, so that's what John did. And that was a very different baptism than the baptism for Jesus. And going on, uh, verse seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, John the Baptist said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can save yourselves. We have Abraham as our, we can say to ourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me is one who comes more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that's a long passage. But basically, John is out there baptizing, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of course, the ruling class, um, who, you know, the keepers of the law, come out because they want to see him. Because, I mean, he's drawing a crowd. Whenever you draw a crowd, people want to go see him. What in the world this crowd is all about? And so they see that John the Baptist is actually baptizing people for the confession of sins. Um, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are like, we do not need this baptism, right? Why don't they need the baptism? Because they're children of Abraham. They're part of the covenant. The way that their sins get redeemed are that they do the sacrificial offerings in the temple, right? That's how their sins are atoned for. So they wouldn't even think about getting baptized by John. But John says, wait a minute, you think that you're saved, that God is pleased with you, because you're children of Abraham, because you think the only reason uh, that God created you is so that you could, um, you know, follow him, repent of your sins, you know, and live your life. But that's not why God called you a special people. If you remember going back to Abraham, God called Abraham. Why? To be a, he called Abraham, gave Abraham a blessing so that he would be a blessing to other people. The whole purpose that the Jewish people were called out of this world and made special by God was not because they were so special, but, but God called them to serve. He called them to be the hands and feet of God in the world around them. And by the time the Pharisees and Sadducees came around, they were not doing that. They were not serving God as his hands and feet. As a matter of fact, they were saying, we're the children of Abraham. We are the favorite of God. We're the ones that God called out of darkness into marvelous light, and now we live as the chosen, right? But that, what, it doesn't end there, and it never ended there. They were the chosen of God to therefore go out and serve God, be his hands and feet. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they weren't doing that. That's what John the Baptist says. Listen, if that's all it was, God could get 
hundreds of children of Abraham. He could turn these stones into children of Abraham. You're missing the point. And he says, you brood of vipers, God calls you to serve him, to be his special people for a purpose, and you're not following that purpose. But there's one coming who is better than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And that one is Jesus. He's going to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. Something new is coming. And this something new would make it the end of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Eventually they would die out um, and a new kingdom would arrive. Um, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is just that how much people love to come and be part of uh, these doom and gloom preachers that go out now. Now, John the Baptist was a doom and gloom preacher, but he was a doom and gloom preacher to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wasn't a doom and gloom people to the people who were coming to confess their sins uh, and be baptized by John. But everybody um, seems to love to go out into the wilderness or to listen to these doom and gloom preachers, right? These, these ones that say the end of the world is coming. And even today with the coronavirus, um, I've seen little things on the internet that says this is the end times, right? That this is the sparking of the beginning of the end times. And I don't know. That very well may be true or very well may be not true. One thing I do know for sure is this is not the only time that a pandemic has hit the world. There have been plagues far worse than what's going to happen in the United States even before we had vaccines, right? You had these plagues that would come in and they would plague a whole community. We now have vaccines for most of We don't necessarily have a vaccine yet for the coronavirus, but we have, we don't have plagues on a level that they've ever seen in the history of mankind. It was much more brutal. It was much worse. So if you think that this particular plague is any worse or worse than anyone that's been in, in prior times, it's just simply not true. We are so much better prepared to see it coming, to know that it's coming, to kind of do some preparations for it and to get through it. Um, I think I mentioned in a previous uh, episode that um, the, they're saying that this uh, coronavirus is about 10 times as deadly as the flu, which apparently if you get the flu, it's about 0.1 or something uh, where people will die of the flu. Um, and the coronavirus is maybe a one or, or maybe something higher than a one percent, but it's not, you know, it's not three or four percent. I think initially it was, we were told three or four percent. Now it's maybe one or maybe one and a half percent deadly uh, if you catch it. But um, also the transmission is, uh, is three times as great. So um, not everybody catches the flu because we have this thing called herd immunity. Um, but some people will catch the coronavirus it's about three times as contagious as the flu. So it's three times as contagious. It's 10 times as deadly. So rightfully, people are going to be concerned. But even at its worst, um, if we do nothing, uh, it will only, I guess, affect and maybe kill 1% of the population. And, and we've seen pandemics that have, that have killed larger percentages than that. And of course, Part of this is trying to flatten the curve and make sure that we have enough medical care for everybody and they're working furiously on trying to find a vaccine. Uh, and so this is not the end time. But people will use this. I guarantee you there'll be people use this as saying that this is the end. The end is near uh, and the plague is upon us and you need to prepare. As a matter of fact, I was walking this morning <laughs> and uh, came across this. It was on the street. 
uh, it, it might be backwards on your feet. I don't know. I'll read it to you. It says, Day of wonder. It's the end times. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles. And these are the beginnings of Sargos. And that's Mark 13, 8. And it says warning. And uh, actually, I was going to read this in front of you today because I actually have no idea what it says. But let's see what they say. Ten out of people die. <laughs> that's true. Ten out of people do die. <laughs> Are you ready for Judgment Day? The Bible says everyone will stand before God and give an account of every word, thought, and action. That is true. There is a judgment coming. Will you be innocent or guilty on that day? Uh, look to the Ten Commandments and see if you meet God's standard. Is God first in your life? Do you love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength? The answer to this is, of course, no, we don't. We're all sinful human beings. Have you ever lied, stolen, or hated, or dishonest with your parents? Have you ever looked with lust and therefore committed adultery in your heart? If you've broken just one of these laws, then you've sinned against God. And the truth is, is that everybody will sin against God. The Bible says no one is righteous. That's true, not even one. The penalty for sin is death. That's true, eternal torment in hell. The good news is that God provided a way for you to be forgiven. It is God's power to save all who believe in him. Yeah, so he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. We've been in this Bible study or the sermon series on that, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He took the punishment for you when he suffered and died on the cross. He defeated death by rising from the dead. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, here is what you need to do. Repent, therefore repent, turn away from your sins. That's that metanoia day. Um, interesting, we could get into that. Um, therefore turn to God. Yeah, return to, repent and turn to God. Uh, so that their sins may be wiped out. It's not a one-time prayer. It's a new lifestyle. Yes, it is a new lifestyle. Metanoite, change. You're now part of the kingdom uh, and a, with an eternal relationship with God. Repent and believe the good. So actually, this isn't, that has, that's, I've seen worse, but that one's actually pretty good. I like that. I think I'll keep that one. Um, but we're not in the end times, okay? We're not in the end times. Jesus said, not even the Son of Man knows when the end times are coming, all right? He'll come like a thief in the night. Nobody will be knowing. Nobody will be prepared for it. And so people, you know, know that this pandemic's coming. So, you know, take that as it will. But Jesus uh, is going to come back again. And um, there will be an end to this world. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But when that happens, we have no idea. Is this pandemic it? I'd say I doubt it. There's been worse pandemics, but it could happen right now. And we don't know because the trumpet will sound and the dead shall rise and we'll all be with Jesus forever. All right, we're going to go on to verse 13. Uh, then Jesus, all right, so John the Baptist is out there baptizing. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to deter him saying, well, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I love, uh, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So now we have the baptism of Jesus, which you know, we've been in this uh, sermon series. We kind of put a pause on it because of Sunday morning, but we did a sermon series on what baptism is. And we've talked about baptism 
is three things, right? If, uh, and there's, it even ties in with the three ways that there's cultures around the world. Some people live in what's called a guilt innocence culture. In other words, they want to make sure that they don't do the wrong things. They want to they wanna go out into the world and say, we've done the right things, right? Uh, we're not innocent of the crimes that a lot of people think that we are, that we are guilty of. They live in, in Western culture, particularly European Western culture and American Western culture. We are dominant in this, in this um, guilt innocence culture. We don't want to be seen by our fellow man as being guilty of you know, doing the wrong things. That's very important to us. We live by the rule of law here in the United States, right? And other places around the world. But not all cultures do that. There's some cultures that live in um, honor shame, right? These are more the Asian cultures and some other cultures where it's not necessarily do the, do the right things, but it's am I, am I bringing honor to my family, right? Have I done such things that I bring honor to my family or do I have to hang my head in shame? Uh, and these, like I said, these are Asian cultures. And the, man, the, the honor shame cultures, they're very, very powerful. They will even do things, right, that we think are horrendous, like uh, even kill some of their family members if they bring shame to the family. I mean, it, these are very, very powerful things. Um, and then, of course, we have the animistic cultures. We have the third one, which is fear uh, and power, right, those cultures. And those are mostly, I guess you could say, maybe Africa has a lot of those, although there's some places around the world that also live in fear power. Uh, and not every culture is, you know, every culture is dominant in one of these things, but all three of these exist in every culture. And in a fear power culture, you know that there are demons that exist and that these demons can wreak havoc in your life. And so you need something more powerful than the demons in your life. And those are, uh, that's God, right? That's, that's something more powerful than demons that help you fight the demons in your life. So in baptism, we've talked about this through the sermon series, all three happen in baptism. First of all, in baptism, you become now a part of the kingdom of God. And as a part of the kingdom of God, what that means is that you are now, oh, you have no more shame because you've been given the great honor of being a child of the king. Because the king opened up his kingdom, to the, the son left and you know and never returned, and now the king has opened up his kingdom to everyone who's part of the kingdom. And that comes through baptism. Remember, he says the kingdom of God is near. Um, the second one is forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist baptizes for forgiveness of sins. You don't need to be baptized for forgiveness of sins if you're perfect. So Jesus, right, is perfect. But what does it say? Um, it says, uh, I've come so that we might fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. All mankind. So when he was baptized by John, the forgiveness of sins for all mankind was given upon Jesus, even though he himself was not sinful. He had all the sins of mankind on him, and those are forgiven in the baptism of Jesus. All right? And then, of course, what happens? This, this dove descends and says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. That's the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Um, and so at baptism, Jesus gets, he's into the, so Jesus starts the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God starts with the baptism of Jesus and is going on still today. And it's a kingdom which will have no end. And it's a kingdom of which Jesus fought the powers of 
darkness and won already, right? The, the war has been won. So those doom and gloom sayers that say there's going to be there's a great uh, pestilence, the nine plagues, and there's going to be Armageddon and all that sort of thing, that, you know, I don't know. Those things are in Revelation. But the war has been won. And you are a child of God. You've already had the war won because you are in the kingdom of God. And when you're in the kingdom of God, you get all rights and privileges, including the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in you to help wage these battles in your life. You now have someone to wage battles with you in, the, in your life. And then, of course, the forgiveness of sins. Because if you're part of the kingdom of God, then your sins have been given, forgiven because of Jesus. So you have all three of these at baptism, the kingdom of God, forgiveness of sins, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is an awesome thing. That is a totally awesome thing. Oh, and then you also see here um, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, this is the one I teach you know, kids in confirmation class. But um, in here, you see God the Father who speaks. This is my beloved Son. You have the Holy Spirit coming down, descending upon Jesus, and you have uh, Jesus, you know, the Son of God. So you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them existing at this one point, which is really kind of cool. So... Um, that basically takes us through to Matthew 3. Let's see, it's about 8.30. All right, so we've done it in about 30 minutes. I know I went rather quickly, but we've got a lot of chapters to go through. So if you have a prayer request, you are more than welcome to send me a prayer request, and we'll pray for those. Um, if you send them to me personally, I'll pray. Uh, if you send them to the church office, you know, we'll put those in our prayer, prayer list. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but every Thursday for years... Uh, the deacons of our congregation have a, a phone call at 4 o'clock on Thursday, and we go through all the prayer requests and we pray for the congregation, and uh, we look at the needs of the congregation and do, uh, it's a wonderful ministry. And so, um, ah, so thankful to the deacons. It's, uh, they do a great job. Um, we have some really great deacons in our congregation, and I'm really, really grateful for them. Uh, and every week, um, not every, sometimes, you know, we can't meet, one of them's gone or whatever, and but pretty much every week for many years, we've gotten together and prayed for a congregation at four o'clock. So if you feel the presence and power of God on you four o'clock on a Thursday, it's because your deacons are praying for you. All right, so that takes us to the end of chapter three. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, tomorrow at eight o'clock, um, this is 28 days straight through. So uh, Monday through Saturday, it's live. And on Sunday, I'm gonna upload a video uh, so if you don't get it at 8 o'clock, um, uh, if you want to get on at 8 o'clock, you can actually see the video. It'll be uploaded to YouTube and to um, Facebook at 8 o'clock. You can watch that as a precursor, and then we have worship tomorrow at 9 o'clock live. You don't want to miss it. It's Palm Sunday, and we're doing a couple of things different on Palm Sunday. It's going to be really, really great. And uh, let's see. And then we'll pick up again on Monday uh, with Chapter 5, because Chapter 4 will be tomorrow. So... God's richest blessings to you, uh, and I'm just going to close this in prayer. Uh, dear Jesus, uh, thank you for being baptized and for starting the kingdom. And thank you for your life and your forgiveness uh, and your power that brings us into your kingdom, to the power of your word and your baptism. Um, Lord, be with us in this trying time. Be with our community, Veil. Be with our nation. Be with our world. Uh, be present in so many different ways. This is a great opportunity for your church to be your hands and your feet. 
Lord, don't let us to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that just sit on our haunches and say, well, we're children of Abraham. We're obeying the law. No, Lord, you've called us to so much more than that. You've called us to love the world around us. You've called us to be your loving disciples. Uh, thank you for calling us into your kingdom. Be with us in Jesus' name.